0: To Hear the Word of God, the online and broadcast teaching ministry of the Rev. Eric Alexander.
1: So in Chapter 8 at the beginning, Isaiah is told to call his child Hash Hashbaz, or quick, swift to the plunder, quick to the spoil. A prophecy obviously about the coming of Assyria to do what God had already said and that was to take the wealth of Damascus away and to plunder Samaria which is what verse 4 is prophesying. Now the idea of before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother is... um, very simple really it is that the words in Hebrew are very similar to our baby language of uh, dada and mama it is avi and imi and you can see before the child is able to say avi imi we would say dada mama it is still a small child in other words and before that happens, he says, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. But then what is going to happen immediately after this, God then goes on to explain in verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah. Now, the gently flowing waters of Shiloah uh, are really the one of the main sources by which Israel, uh, or Judah rather, was provided with water. It was a symbol of the apparent, quiet, ineffective little stream which was a symbol of the help of God. This is how it appeared in the eyes of men, a gently flowing stream like the waters of Shiloh which flowed into the pool of Siloam. Now because this people, God says to Isaiah, has rejected what the gently flowing waters of Shiloh represent, which is God's resources and God's help, and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, that is, over Syria and over Israel, the nations which had been destroyed by Assyria, because they have gloated over the defeat of Israel and Syria, Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them not the quiet flowing waters of Shiloh, but the mighty flood waters of the river Euphrates. That is the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Now can you see these two pictures? Here on the one hand is the representation in a small stream of all that God is, how he works so quietly. How so often people could dismiss him as they would dismiss a small stream and say, That's insignificant and unimportant. You would never really put your confidence there. And the eye of flesh would look at the river Euphrates in all its might. Now that represents Assyria. And the eye of the flesh and the mind that was thinking in a purely human way would say, That's where real power belongs. Real influence is there. So, what have they done, says God? They have rejected the Lord. They have said, This quiet flowing stream, we are going to put no confidence there. Where are we going to put our confidence? We are going to put our confidence in Assyria. And then God says the most extraordinary thing He says, Right. What you have set your heart on, you shall have. You shall have Assyria. You have set your heart on Assyria and its great power and its great and mighty river. Right, you can have it, he says. But in the end of the day, it will destroy you as well as Syria and Israel. That's the great danger, you know, of setting your heart on something that is purely your own selfish ambition. And setting your heart on the wrong thing and not on God. Because sometimes, The only way that nations like Judah and individuals like us learn the lesson God has to teach us is that he gives us what we've set our heart on. And what happens in this case is The mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria with all his pomp will overflow all its channels, run over its banks, sweep into Judah, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. You know the the idea, it's one of these eastern pictures of floods we see so vividly on the television, with people up to their necks in water. Now water is so often the source of life, but here it is a threat to life. And this is what Assyria has come. So the help of God is compared to a small, ineffective as it appears, little stream, and the power of the pagan nations seems like the Euphrates. And then he changes the figure of speech halfway through verse 8. Do you notice? and says, it's outspread, wings will cover the breadth of your land. It will be like a bird of prey, in other words, which is as huge as the land itself and will come to devour it. Now, that's a lesson we need to pause and and just listen to for a moment from God because it's of immense importance you know to us at every stage of our life and especially when we're younger I really do need to ask myself again and again what is it that I've really set my heart on is it God and his glory and his ways and his plans and his power and grace Have I really set my heart on that and put my confidence there? Or have I set my heart on something else? And then he says, be careful lest you get what you've set your heart on if it's not God. Because it will ultimately destroy you. Now the address O Emmanuel at the end of verse 8 is a form of addressing Judah which obviously brings hope into the situation. You remember the promise that came was a promise that they were to have a young child who would be born to the virgin and his name would be called Emmanuel which means God with us. Now, in the long term, and here is the note of hope that keeps arising, in the long term, God's purpose and cause will triumph. Thus, the cause of evil and the powers of darkness will ultimately be thwarted. And this is the note of the last two verses of this section. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen to all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. That's a repetition simply of the word Emmanuel. And of course the reason is that behind all that Isaiah is saying to us about his purpose to discipline Judah, they are his covenanted people. And even through his judgments, he is working out his purposes which we discover coming to their full fruition in Jesus Christ, his birth and death and resurrection, and one day in his return in glory, the picture really is, you see, that whether it is his own people who reject him, whether it is pagan nations who come pouring in with all their forces to destroy the people of God, God in the end of the day will thwart them. Whatever the plans be that they make, God's plans are the plans that will be carried out. So God is really saying to his people, it is as well to put your trust in me. Because the last word always belongs to God now God then turns to speak to Isaiah again warning him lest he should follow the way of the people of Judah that's quite a significant thing I think you see here is God's prophet probably feeling in a real sense the isolation of this situation. Can you imagine being a child of God in a generation like this when the whole nation of God's people, that's like the whole church of God, seems to be going after godless ways and pagan practices when they are putting their confidence everywhere except in God. And the danger is, obviously, that God's servants might be infected by that spirit. And so the Lord comes and speaks to Isaiah himself. And he says to him in verse 11, He spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Now many scholars think that what he is really saying is that there is a tendency abroad in the land that people are saying, if you don't go the way of Ahaz, if you don't follow his alliances with Assyria, then you're guilty of treason. This is a conspiracy against the state. Whatever that may be, the gist of what God is saying to him is, don't let your mind be infected by a way of thinking that arises from excluding God. Now, my dear friends, that's a very real danger, you know, in the modern world, that your mind begins to be infected with a way of thinking, a set of standards, a list of priorities that derive from a totally godless culture. You know? It's so easy for that to happen. Notice how... uh, God goes on to spell it out to Isaiah. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty, here's the positive side. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Now you see the picture. Let me translate it into modern terminology. What is the thing that the great majority of people fear in the modern world? Ill health? Economic disaster? Well, people tell me, you know, all the time I go and see people and they say, Ah, well, so long as you have your health, that's all that matters. That's a great saying, you know. And what it implies is that physical well-being is the only thing that really matters. Now, is that true? Is that a biblical position for us to hold? Is that how God teaches us to live? Of course it's not. God certainly doesn't teach us to abuse our bodies or to court ill health or anything stupid like that. But he does tell us that a healthy body that houses a sick soul is not something to be grateful for. Economic disaster is the worst thing that could ever happen to us, that we could lose everything that we have overnight. Listen again. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. What do you really fear, says Isaiah, more than all else? Well, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to respect, to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. Now, if you live that way, do you notice what he is saying? The Lord Almighty will be your sanctuary. You will then have security. You will then have protection. You will have absolute peace and well-being. All that the Hebrew word for peace means will be yours. If you have got God in his rightful place There is no principle more fundamental than this In the whole of life That if God is in his rightful place He will be a sanctuary to you The name of the Lord is a strong tower The righteous runneth into it And is safe do you know that great phrase? It used to be a, a place where the Keswick speakers met to pray in uh, Kent, an old house that belonged to a long-since-dead banker. And over the tower there were engraved in stone these words, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, The righteous runneth into it and is safe. I will never forget I've told you before I'm sure standing for the Keswick speakers photograph and suddenly the heavens opened and came down in a thunder clump and all these Keswick speakers ran uh, straight in through the doorway and I looked up to this and saw it the name of the Lord is a strong tower; the righteous runneth into it and is safe I thought that was beautiful but you know this is what happens when your confidence is in the Lord He's a sanctuary to you. He's a sanctuary. But verse fourteen, halfway through second line, for both houses of Israel he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Now, what does that mean? What it means simply, you see, is that there are different ways in which different people experience God. We really need to grasp this, you know. Every one of us is going to experience God in some sense. You ever really thought about that? There is none of us who is not going to experience. God, but we will all have different experiences of God. To those who have learned to fear his name, to those who have brought to him the worship that belongs to his holiness, who live in the light of the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, he will be a sanctuary. To those who have rejected him, he will become a stumbling block or a snare. The New Testament expounds this to us. Do you remember in 1 Peter chapter 2? And it applies it to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will either be the cornerstone of your life or a stumbling stone over which you will trip. And that's exactly what Isaiah is being told by God here. Now in verse 16... God begins to give to Isaiah the answer to all this. What is the positive counsel here? Do not fear what they fear. What is the way into experiencing God as the sanctuary of his people? Well, he says, God says to him, Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. Now, what that means, I think, the testimony and the law are a reference to the revelation that God has given to Isaiah as well as in the law and elsewhere. And God says, bind it up. It is to be sealed in the hearts of his disciples. That is God's disciples, I think and bound upon their conscience. Now he is about to tell us here, and he's going to elaborate on it in a moment, that it is the law and the testimony that is the clue and the key to absolutely everything in right living in such days as these that Isaiah is depicting. He says, Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I think he is speaking there, although there are possible other uh, applications of it. I think he is speaking about sealing the law in the hearts of the people, binding it upon their consciences. And then he says, I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here is a man, you know, Standing like a giant colossus of a figure spiritually in the midst of this generation of people who are rejecting the Lord. And Isaiah stands as this great towering figure. I will wait for the Lord, he says. God in at this moment is hiding his face from Judah, but I will h- wait for the Lord. I will put My confidence in him. Now that's something in a generation like the one that Isaiah lived in. And he goes on in verse 18, notice it. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. Now he has already had a child called Shear Jashub we have come across already, and this child, Mahar Chalal Hashbaz, and in both cases, God has given some symbolic sign of his faithfulness to his word and promise. To Isaiah. And Isaiah standing in the midst of this generation, you know, I think it's quite like Martin Luther. Do you remember in a day when the whole of the Christian religion had been corrupted? And Martin Luther is being arraigned before his, 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 his judges. And he says, here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Now, Isaiah is like that. He says, here I am and the children God has given me. How can I but trust the Lord? I wonder what kind of impact that had on his generation. Now notice how the chapter concludes. He is Speaking to the people when men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter? Should not a people inquire of their God? Isn't that an extraordinary thing? You see, the revival of superstition goes hand in hand with a loss of faith. In every generation, that's true, the revival of superstition goes hand in hand with a loss of faith. For the simple reason that you cannot ultimately live in this world without recognizing that it is not capable completely of a physical explanation. And if people will not trust in the Lord, they will trust in the most outlandish things. And I'm not talking about distant primitive countries. I'm talking about our own. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, Should not a people inquire of their God? A very interesting thing today, you know Did you know this? That in France today There are twice the number of witches That there are Protestant pastors Did you know that? Well, that's a statistical truth Twice the number of witches as Protestant pastors. And if people will not put their trust in the Lord, they will put their trust in the most extraordinary places. Now, says Isaiah, what's the answer to all this? Well, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, to the Holy Scriptures, in other words, to God's book, he says. That's where he's directing them, you know. You can see him, can you, going right over the land, calling upon the people to the law and to the testimony. And when you hear any word that's spoken, if they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. In other words, they are condemning themselves to a night from which there is no morning to come, because the only hope for a people is in their God, and the only light for them is in his word. That's what Isaiah saying. Now, whenever God's people lose sight of that, you know, whenever there is another motto that begins to rule the church, let me put it this way, then this, to the law and to the testimony, we are heading towards a night from which there is no dawn. That's been true of the history of the church in various generations and periods when there has been some other kind of cry that goes up from the church than to the law and to the testimony. They are heading for the deepest darkness. That's the seriousness of the people of God neglecting the Word of God. Distressed and hungry, he pictures it picturesquely in verse 21. They will roam through the land when they are famished. They will become enraged and looking upwards will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. It is this hopeless picture. But then again in verse 9, in chapter 9 verse 1, we are reminded that God has an ultimate purpose of grace. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, He humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. Now, That promise of hope was ultimately fulfilled, of course, when the Lord Jesus Christ walked in Galilee and ministered in Capernaum. That was Galilee of the Gentiles. And what Isaiah is saying is, Oh, the seriousness, the darkness of this hour but lift up your eyes and see that God in his grace has a purpose of mercy and it is all bound up in this ultimate Son whom the Virgin will conceive and bear. And when he will be born, he will be the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince, Of peace. But it's so important for us to learn Isaiah's lesson and to be able to be numbered amongst those who stand in the midst of this generation and have verse 17 of Isaiah 8 as what really shines out of our lives. I will wait for the Lord. Who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob? I will put my trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, we bless you for your holy word. We worship you that you are the living God, the same God who spoke these very words that we have been reading together come we pray and pour out your grace upon us that we may learn to put our trust in you through Jesus Christ to whom with you and the Holy Spirit we give all honor and praise and
0: glory now and forever Amen You're listening to Hear the Word of God with the Rev. Eric Alexander, a minister in the Church of Scotland for over 50 years. To access more Bible teaching from Rev. Alexander, visit hearthewordofgod.org where your generous contribution will help us sustain and grow this ministry. That's hearthewordofgod.org. You could choose instead to mail a check to this address, 600 Eden Road, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 17601 or call 1-800-488-1888. This program is a presentation of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. I'm Mark Daniels. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time for Eric Alexander and hear the Word of God.